Hey everybody, Brian Beeler here with the Storage Review Podcast, and today we've got a special guest, Ashley Gorkwala, who's uh, with WD. I've known Ashley for, gosh, probably uh, a little bit more than a decade at this point. He was with Dell, Dell EMC, server storage business, knows a lot about systems engineering, and it's kind of funny, for all those years, he's been a consumer of hard drives and storage technology, and now he's on the other side of the table, and he'll walk us through all of that in, in this podcast. We'll talk about hard drive engineering, what's coming, what to expect from capacity bumps, how WD is going to get there, and why 50 terabyte hard drive might be underselling the upside capacity potential by the end of the decade. Hey, Ashley, thanks for joining today. Uh, you left Dell after 20 years. You took a, a little time to yourself, and now you're in the high-paced world of hard drives. What, what's that like? Well, uh, thanks for having me first. Uh, Brian, um, glad to be here. Um, the uh, so what's it like? So uh, a couple things. One, um, it's sort of like switching. Uh, if if I were interviewing you, so um, <laughs> you know you get to switch to the other side of the desk. So as a uh, at at Dell and uh, Dell EMC. I was able to um, enjoy my time with Western Digital and, and other uh, really strategic partners as a, as a large customer, as someone who benefited from their research, their development, um, their manufacturing prowess, and then integrate that and bring that, those solutions to our customers. Um, so, you know, a, a very fulfilling relationship, but then, you know, let's switch and I get to interview you for a while uh, and it's exciting, right? So it, it changes the dynamic of uh, a lot of things. And I've learned quite a bit, uh, frankly, coming in and um, really enjoyed learning about not just um, hard drives uh, or our premier flash business, uh, but really, um, you know, a new dynamic around uh, a team that spends sometimes decades developing and bringing forward commercializing technologies um, and that's not it then going through the process of uh, scaling up and manufacturing and and bringing forward into the world uh, those ideas and concepts and then watching our customers um, you know use them uh, in their own enterprises you know from as small as uh, someone backing up their precious memories in their home to uh, pretty much powering the data economy uh, that we all enjoy um, as consumers. Well, so talk about that for a minute because it's interesting to me. I mean, at, at Dell, or at least in your your last or maybe close to the last position there, you were in, you were a server guy, right? And so you know, PowerEdge and all of that stuff that was going on, some of the cloud systems, and you're bringing in components, be it CPUs, and in this case, the relevant bit being storage, right? And you're looking at, at all these guys, at all the providers, the flash guys, the hard drive guys, and you're saying, you know, we need X components to be able to go support what our customer requests are. Um, why does it take you so long <laughs> to get from 14 to 16 terabytes or from flash from, from two to four or four to eight, like whatever? As a customer, you were probably much more impatient. Has, has being on the development side made you a more a more patient man over the last year? Um, it hasn't made me more patient, um, but it has given me perspective. Uh, okay. Perhaps when you put it that way. So, um, you know, there, there is a certain, um, you know, I think everyone has a different way and perspective of uh, working through these things. And for me, and I think for a lot of the, the team as well, uh, there really is a sense of pride of, you know, bringing something that germinated as a small idea, maybe a large idea. Um, essentially, uh, ideas, if you look at uh, especially the hard drive industry, that at first uh, glance may have seemed slightly impossible and may have been impossible without, an, uh, you know, leaps in technology and manufacturing and material science and physics and aerodynamics. And so, it's it's uh, it's gratifying to bring those to the marketplace, um, but you don't. I you know I think internally we don't get uh, too frustrated by the pace because 
we have a uh, extremely long pipeline that we're working on bringing technologies forward. So, you know, there's a, a group working on something that'll come to fruition 10 years from now. If they got impatient without, we wouldn't bring it to market, right? The, the, the way we develop would essentially stop and gap out. So you have to have some folks who are in your team who are uh, impatient and are about to launch and know how to bring something uh, from an idea to a million units being shipped out of the factory tomorrow. But you also need uh, a great deal of dreamers and thinkers who are willing uh, to start working on something that may not see its way out of our labs for 10 years and that our customers won't enjoy for you know five years after that as we go through sort of the commercialization process. Um, so it's it's fun. It's actually it's like being on the inside uh, of you know a toy factory and knowing that it's all coming. You know about it. I know about it. Um, our teams it's know about it. Matter and of so time, it's right? Exciting and and for some, for some it's a sense of relief when it comes through. For others, it's a you know a, an anxious moment to to have the the world either harshly or or uh, with great enjoyment uh, judge your your products. Um, what? Well yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting when you talk about the engineering, right? Because there's so much that goes into that. I mean, at, at WD, we've been to many of the campuses and, and worked with some of those guys on things like SMR. I mean, shingles for a while uh, were really controversial. And so, you know, when you take a traditional hard drive platform that's been around for not the platform exactly but the base technology for 50 years or whatever the the, the huge number is and then iterate on it and, and tweak on it it's uh it can be intimidating and it's funny because you know, back in the day there were what 40 50 different hard drive manufacturers and and people seem to forget this that there was a lot of competition there were a lot of different ideas a lot of different direction to try to sort this out and Flash went through a similar but smaller sort of explosion onto the the scene. Uh, but hard drives have been just uh, anytime you make a change, if you don't get it right, to your point, you 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 get hit pretty hard. I remember even I mean you would have been a, a customer of Dell at this time, but when helium drives came out, there was a lot of apprehension over this sealed drive technology and what happens if it leaks or we can't find helium anymore or whatever there was a lot of a lot of uh, uncertainty i mean you you must remember the sealed drive launch i, I assume yes we, we actually were talking about that uh, earlier this week my cto uh reminded me that um we had a customer who had a five-year test qualification so in order to accept helium so if you can imagine, it seems unimaginable today because it is the, uh, you know, it, it is the way we ship higher capacity uh, drives in our industry. So HGST and Western Digital bringing that technology forward essentially uh, kicked off a whole new era of capacity enterprise and nearline uh, advancement. But at the time we had uh, at least one large customer, very sophisticated, who said, you know what, I'll adopt this in five years if it passed the test. Um, oh my so, gosh! Has it been five years yet? It must be close. Uh, it's been much more. So, um, <laughs> you know, helium probably to your point earlier about the the advancement and and the iteration. You know, uh, long periods of iteration, when viewed in perspective, become revolutionary, right? So, um, when you think about helium, maybe twenty years ago, uh, was when people in labs were beginning to work with it. 10 years ago is when uh, around the six and eight terabyte um, capacity point is when it started to become a production concept. And today, you know, it, it is, uh, it's the way we ship. So a hundred million uh, drives shipped under helium at Western Digital. And uh, do you have any sense for how many have sprung a leak and made system admins or IT admins speak in a high pitched voice? Uh, it, it isn't even something <clears throat> that has to be tracked separately. It's just part of the MTBF and isn't, it, it isn't a concept. Yeah, it's, it's just part of the warranty, right? I mean, drives do fail uh, from time to time and you replace them and slot them in and move on. It's a circle of data life, right? That's right. 
That's right. So, you know, if you think about uh, that concept, then um, it is easy to see that uh, what's in the labs today comes forth a decade from now or five years from now or 20 years from now. Um, and, you know, just continues to iterate forward on um, bringing more capacity, more performance, more security, better efficiency to our customers. Um, and if and if we don't, frankly, as a hard drive industry, uh, that changes everything for the infrastructure of the world. I mean, it, mm -hmm. I don't know if you buy into the concepts that uh, uh, the different slogans people use today. There's the data is the new oil, data is the new rocket no, no. fuel, data is the new currency. But it, it doesn't really matter if you, if you sort of, you know, allow me to, to use the analogy forward. Uh, today, that's, that's sort of the concept of I have a lot of rocket fuel or oil or currency, but I threw 90% of it away. I mean, we would, you know, that would be a shocking number. Someone said, you know, I had... I had a lot of currency, but I threw 90% of it away. Um, I didn't store it, I didn't keep it, I didn't archive it, I didn't use it. Um, so that's sort of the position the hard drive industry and the flash industry and the tape industries find themselves in, is that we, uh, it's imperative for technology advancement that we are able to keep up um, because, you know, and, and it depends what you believe. People say it's anywhere from you know, 90 to 95% of the data created isn't stored. Um, but the, the, the exponential rate at which creation continues forward means that just to keep up, you have to keep up with an exponential number to make ground up and, and actually store more so that um, people can do more with their data means you have to beat an exponential curve in how we, we create uh, enough scale for our customers. So it's going to require all those uh, those concepts in the labs that you've seen before as you toured around to come to fruition. Well, I mean the the storing piece is is one half, and then it's the as you said doing something with it that's the other half, right? And there was a period of time, and you know as an infrastructure guy, where data was growing too fast for traditional infrastructure to make sense to continue to invest in given the ability to monetize the data. So like this whole string was a little bit disjointed. So you could store it and spend a lot of money doing that. But at the time, you may not have had the AI ML kind of way to analyze the data and make sense of it and make it actionable and show, you know, profitability or, or, or decisions that were that came out of it if it's a, you know, more of a research thing. So now with with low cost storage, whether it's tape as you said or some object storage thing or cloud or whatever data storage part has gotten pretty good in terms of being cost effective in letting us never have to delete anything in fact most organizations store multiple copies of bits you know whether whole files or or erasure coding or whatever in the primary data center and then have a dr site and maybe a third off-site replication you know cloud or otherwise and and so that part feels like it's getting uh, figured out and increasingly the economics get better as the hard drives get bigger, as tapes get bigger and, and all that sort of thing. Um, but the other piece is definitely on the analytics side where the work that NVIDIA and Intel and, and others have, are doing that have just dramatically changed how fast I can iterate on that data with AI and machine learning. And to your point, the more data I have, the more data I can feed these these uh, algorithms to make meaningful insights. I mean, you look at things like self-driving cars. If if we took all that data and had to throw it away every six months because we couldn't physically store it, then our AIs can't grow. They can't be as strong because they don't have as much data to pull from and iterate from or sales data and forecasting. I mean, there's a thousand examples and I'm sure you've got many more of how this whole pie has come together with effective storage and effective analytics. Yep, the, uh, I love the example of um, gathering data about our analog world, digitizing it and bring it to, uh, you know, either digital twin or, or actually 
more interesting has become the concept of uh, digitizing the analog world, bringing it into um, a digital format where it can be used in a different way, and then turning around and iterating back and, and making changes into the analog world based on that. That's sort of the concept of um, automated driving. Um, if we can, when we get to the you know different stages of it, is you've got to be able to interact with your world while uh, real-time processing on on data. If you are going to do real-time processing, it means you likely trained or built um, something that is able to not be hard-coded. You know, gone are the days where the software tells the PC what to do. Now, the uh, the computer has written the software for us based on the data we fed it, and so the algorithms become the important part. So uh, we had customers who are gathering that data about our analog world and the different ways we can perceive it. And on, uh, I'll, you know, one particular vendor I remember was uh, every time they parked a car after an eight-hour shift, there was so much data available to them that the bandwidth requirements to move that to where they were going to process it were too much. So they used SneakerNet. Right? They, they took the hard drives out of the car, they put them in a big truck, and they shipped it over um, to the data centers and the various tiers of their data centers. Um, so even the data, uh, we have things to catch up on. So you said the compute is catching up. Uh, we have more and more sort of um, architectural changes where it's not necessarily a CPU with some memory and storage. It's now a heterogeneous uh, environment where a host CPU may include several specialized processing units there that can go much faster, much faster along the way. But still, we still need bandwidth to catch up. You know, the analog world is everywhere. It's not in 10 data centers in the world. And so that ability to move the data around is also quite important. But we, I think you uh, have seen enough to know that a lot of our customers have um, an imperative or fear uh, that that rules their their uh, their competitive set, which is, can I be the first to disrupt with data? Do I have more data than my competitive peers? Can I use it more cleverly uh, to disrupt this business, this peer set I'm in? Or a fear, will I be on the other side? Do I not have enough data? Uh, will the business model of someone else uh, with better data, better insights, um, a completely different change in how they monetize data disrupt me? And so whether you're driven by fear or ambition, um, you know, data becomes something that is central to your business, which means very often we're starting to see it. You can even see it show up in people's titles and where the CIO sits in the business how the business talks about um, what they need versus sort of a cost center over there that uh, builds out the infrastructure for them. Sure. So the, the world is completely changing. And one other interesting aspect I think that gets often overlooked is that the rate of change in um, how bandwidth, networking, communications, fabrics, uh, specialized CPUs are all developing at different paces. But one thing that I've seen more and more from customers is they understand that. And so what um, a theme that's emerged is I'll get the data now, even if I can't use it yet. Because one day my compute, my networking, my business model will catch up, but I'll need the data then. So uh, we're seeing a lot of um, sort of um, give me the opportunity to store or archive data, even maybe colder down in my tiers, because one day I'll wake it up when I have the business model, the relationships, the reach, the compute power to really monetize what I've stored over this period. Well, it, it's interesting, and you know, when this comes out, we're we're the Friday before the Super Bowl right now, and in Cincinnati, it's just. This is today is barely a national holiday or a Cincinnati holiday, so you know we're in the office and we're still sober at this hour, so that's good. Uh, Monday maybe not, 
but um, we're also on the cusp of racing season. I don't know if you follow that. You know, Dell had a relationship with McLaren before. I don't know if WD does anything, but F1's about to get going. IndyCar is about to get going. In the way, I mean, if you want a concrete example of how this digital twin concept is going on, is that it used to be if you didn't have a multi-million dollar wind tunnel, you couldn't have a racing team. You just couldn't because you couldn't figure out the aerodynamics, the downforce on the car, and that's fundamental to success. This year, F1's um, regulations and formula rotates over, so there's a ton of innovation on the cars. And so much of the stuff that used to be wrenching on the, on the machine is gone. It's not totally gone. It's just transferred to this digital twin concept, which would have been you know, just um, what we would call digital engineering before, I suppose. But all these super advanced models that have been enabled by GPUs and not just 13090 in your gaming rig we're talking about you know several systems with with high-end enterprise GPUs in them but it's absolutely amazing what they can do to simulate all this data without having to create it so they I mean they're ultimately creating data at the back end right but also to your point of if we're going to run this simulation and then change this one variable and run it again and change one variable and run it again and then take all that output and analyze that and then go back through and do this it's just mind-bending and uh and, and racing anything competitive like that is just such a great example of where this is happening and where this data creation is just piling up so fast yeah i'm glad to be talking to a another formula one fan um I don't think it's we're we're uh, we're not a big as big a crowd in the U.S. probably as not the rest so of much. the world. Um, but if uh, if you get exposed to sort of the you know for the geeks in the in the listening um, audience, you know it's a great sport to follow because of just this sort of on edge engineering technology element to it. Um, and you know one thing that uh, you know I used to work for uh, someone who often said I'd rather simulate failure than experience it. And uh, the concept now of uh, being able to simulate all those failures because there's probably, you know, one iteration of a million that is optimal. So you have to go and you can't build them all, can't build a million things and put them in a wind tunnel anymore. But you can probably find 10 out of a million that seem pretty optimal, use your 3D printing technology to build them very quickly and start to get mm -hmm. some um, data in the again in the analog world, and then pump it back into your model, and your model smarter again. You know, and it's just going to iterate forward like that. Absolutely. And the exciting part about that is, um, you know, in in the days of um, analog data, so to speak, things written down, um, pieces in the in the real world, much much harder to archive it, search it, share it. Um, you know, put that content in other people's hands. And now with, you know, uh, the stat I, uh, my team has told me is in the next five years, we'll create more digital data than we've ever created, period. You know, in the last 40 years of digital data. And I suspect, you know, if you and I got together five years from now and talked about it, it would be, the stat would be very similar. In the next five years, we'll create more data and so on. How can that um, not be true, right? Yeah, so, um, you know, our, our mission is actually, you know, people talk about, well, what, what's your mission statement? What's your strategy? Well, it's pretty clear, isn't it? Uh, we have to keep up with the explosion of data because there, there is not another technology in the tiering of the data center um, that can replace what the hard drive, magnetic recording, the economies of, of scale that that brings. Um, and so the hard drive industry it is really sitting in the in the seat of uh, determining how quickly uh, this data economy advances. Well, so on that on that note, what are your customers asking for? And it might depend on on the customer. And, and I want to keep this specific to hard drive because the flash world we can we can do this whole thing over again and talk about flash. But from a hard drive and capacity standpoint, is it capacity that's number one? Is it performance? Is it reliability? What What's your, if you had to pick one, what's the driving factor in terms of the pressure your customers are putting on you? It's usually gonna be uh, capacity 
in a uh, in an equation. Uh, right. It could be capacity per dollar, could be capacity per watt, capacity uh, density, um, accessibility, how I access the capacity. But almost always the the primary or secondary um, effect is uh, I'm buying capacity when I'm buying a hard drive. If you think about the tiers in most data centers, uh, Western Digital has a very unique position in the in the data center because we we have both tiers, right? So we have the flash tier and the data center tier, and that's that's what makes customers um, you know think of us as very strategic. Is I don't have to go and and take the burden of understanding how the tiers work, how the technologies work together. I don't have to call two people if something doesn't work. I call one. Um, you know, I can develop my entire data center storage infrastructure with one partner because, you know, we have both these um, technology businesses. And so if you think about the tiering going forward, um, I think there's going to be a little bit of change. And I think most market uh, analysts and people who study it and our own customers say um, to make up numbers that are close enough, if 10% of our data in our um, in our large cloud data center is hot or low latency or must be served immediately by SLA, 90% of it isn't. And that 90% really defines where the hard drive sweet spot is. Um, so if you think about it that way, a customer is unlikely to come back and say, you know what, I'll, I'll actually uh, want to differentiate and even invest more into higher end levels of performance. There is some of that, but it's around certain applications as opposed to the broad application of, of storage in the data center. Um, I think that more and more, of course, at scale, power, security, manageability, uh, the ability to, you know, if there's a, a need to update um, programmables, if there's a need to understand and have a, um, a hard drive or another device um, plug into the infrastructure management system, that's all very important. But in the end, it's the density, the value, uh, or the power that is needed to bring a certain level of capacity online is really what's important. Okay. And so, you know, your guys in the engineering skunk works that are looking 5, 10, 15 years out, I mean, are all very much focused on on this, whether it's it's readers or heads or, or, or platters or whatever else, form factors. I mean, there's a thousand different things you guys are pursuing there. And that makes sense. In the, in the most fundamental view of it, though, in a three and a half inch hard drive, you've got a certain physical space and you've, you've been able to add more platters and we talked about helium and helium helped there, right? By having less drag and being able to do some more things. I mean, 10, 11 platters is maybe the max for current technology in just physically in that space. Um, I, you can make tracks more dense, you can overlap them, you can do, do a bunch of different stuff, but at a certain point, the management of all this stuff gets really quite challenging too. And I know you guys had the announcement last year uh, around putting some iNAND on, on hard drives and doing some cool things there. How, how do you characterize you know, what's most immediate in terms of leading to capacity gains to get from 20 to 22 to 24, you know, again, if we're going to progress in twos and maybe we're not, I mean, would appreciate your insight there, but you know, what, what's next for WD is, is that this NAND on, on drive is the, the next big win from a capacity standpoint? So <clears throat> a few things, um, our, um, our ability to look forward into, um, the hard drive future is pretty exciting because I think um, you and I talked a bit about this last time we talked, which is um, there's probably still not by not by you, probably not even by uh, people who are interested in listening to you, but by outside that, if I go one more concentric circle of sort of awareness out, um, I still am asked sometimes, 
the, so is the hard drive a is that a dying device? I mean, is it in decline? It's it's almost gone, right? And uh, and what people are uh, really saying is that um, I'm aware of technology that's around me, and my devices around me, my desktops. Yes, here laptops, this the, yeah, this guy MacBook. the hard drive the hard drive is dead in the in the MacBook um, Air. Your your um, your smartphone, your streaming device. Most you know a lot of people don't have a, a cable set box anymore with a hard drive as a DVR. Um, more and more, you're able to to easily plug into cloud storage, and you don't think about cloud storage as a hard drive. You think about cloud storage um, as something on the end of a wire, and so the device hard drive. Um, is starting to disappear from the consumer's view and be replaced by some pretty sophisticated software. And where's the software? Where is that data being kept? It's, of course, in hard drives and data centers away from um, view. And so when you think um, about sort of the message around that, I think people think, well, has research stopped? Is innovation done? Is the hard drive being displaced by flash, perhaps I should pay attention to that. And so um, your question is really relevant, I think. Um, we Inside the hard drive industry, we know that there's decades of innovation yet to be revealed and that are, we're working on that will come forward. Um, and so a lot of that, of course, is going to be around uh, the primary, what we talked about, the primary uh, customer requirement, which is capacity. And of course, there'll be customers who say, you know, perhaps if you put multiple actuators or different interfaces on, then I could enjoy a little bit of performance um, app um, or a niche in my my uh, data center. But the bulk of our research is on how do we uh, move forward within the constraints. And some of the constraints are uh, if Western Digital or Seagate um, were to want to provide hard drives for the entire world and capacity and customer needs today, neither of us could do that. We need a hard drive industry. We need to advance as an industry. And what's important there is that we have standards that are open, whether it's SaaS, SATA, uh, mechanisms for management, how we do firmware. And so there's a level of compatibility that's really, really important. And so part of our constraints are that open, those open standards those open those form factors that allow us to be compatible. Within that, we should differentiate uh, if we have better technology to bring to the marketplace, and that sort of drives that competition within this very important industry. So, um, you know, we'll probably within the next six months have a, a more formal announcement of our roadmap, and you know, allow uh, everyone to sort of understand, you know, multiple years out, but. You went through them a little bit. So um, one thing that's real important is, and maybe overlooked, is we've started the new era of hard drives already. We're in it. It's energy assist magnetic recording. So at the head uh, level, and the you know we take advantage of it at the reader level, is being able to move from PMR to energy assisted PMR and commercializing that. So what's the advantage, right? Uh, if you may ask, well, I can buy an 18 terabyte or an 18 terabyte or another 18 terabyte. Do I care if it's energy assist uh, or not? And the answer is at the, the very time you ask that, if you have uh, multiple 18 terabytes, uh, again, CMR, not SMR, available to you, you probably don't at that moment. But what if you, we turn this into a roadmap discussion, though, What's important to note is it's not a point product. It's it's a new phase of how we deliver magnetic recording going forward. That opens up our ability to reach beyond 18 and into 20 and, and frankly into 30 terabyte platforms in the future using energy assist. And then using those same concepts with yet another magnetic recording capability, heat assisted, um, another form of energy going forward. Um, and so today, um, you know, to brag a little bit on my team, um, our ability to deliver 
uh, 2.2 terabytes per platter um, is is unmatched, right? It's it's so again, you can say, but 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 Ashley, if I can get an 18 terabyte or a 20 terabyte, which we offer today, um, and I write to it with a standard interface of SAT or SAS, does it matter? Well, it matters because you can see that the progression of our capability means we're able to deliver uh, and bring to market probably sooner than others the next uh, capacity point, the next capacity point, and so on. So um, media will play a big part of that going forward as well. Uh, and so we have a, you know, a, a roadmap of capability that has to be in lockstep with with the head and uh, and reader technology. And then um, it's pretty exciting when we talked about OptiMan because um, a couple of things. One, we did have to spend a little bit of time explaining it's not a hybrid drive, it's not a cache drive. Um, and so once we got past sort of those first uh, questions, I think it began, people began to absorb the fact that it's an architectural change. And there hasn't been a lot of architectural changes um, inside the sort of the electronics, the control systems, the brains of the drive. It's most of the innovation's been around, as you said, you know, media and heads and magnetic recording technology. So that brings us the opportunity now to to really add another swim lane of roadmap innovation going forward. That again will be done lockstep with uh, magnetic recording technologies, media and um, you know architectural changes going forward and then we'll of course we'll be iterating on all the things that you have to do around that you know our triple stage actuation um, you know it allows a precision that you need to bring a certain tracks per inch onto the media so on so on so there's going to be you start with sort of those fundamentals and then you build out from there so that we can deliver an integrated platform well, I mean, a couple things. I would say, first of all, the, the tracks per inch thing is really what what we speak about around getting density on the platter, right? And the more tracks per inch, then ultimately the harder it gets to manage data placement, adjacency, like there's a lot of some electrical issues. There's lots of things going on there. And so your technology and the platform gets better to to manage that. But the other thing that's kind of neat is that you might talk to hyperscalers all day long about wanting that progressive, uh, bigger disk to 18 to 20, 22, whatever, to 30. Um, but every time you guys come out with a new technology, not necessarily in tandem with, but it tends to make the older technologies, they get less expensive over time, right? Because things happen, economies of scale and, and whatnot. And, and still, even today, that sweet spot for uh, home user or system integrator putting a, an 8-bay NAS into a, a dentist's office or whatever, like those 12 to 14 terabyte drives kind of in that window right now to me feels like a phenomenal place to be from a data storage standpoint where you get great performance per dollar, which was one of the things that we were talking about. And those guys don't need to pay a premium. They have no space constraints really in a small office like that. Um, where the hyperscalers may really want that density or, or, or have a different uh, set of metrics there. So that's interesting. On Optinan specifically though, like to your point, this is a, a new technology and, and we had the briefings and, and I, I said, oh God, not another hybrid drive because <laughs> those, uh, those not just WDs, but all of them were attempting to be a bridge, mostly at the, at the client computing level. Um, and with limited success, but we're taking NAND, a little a little NAND pack, putting it on the, the PCB. There's already DRAM on there. There's already some other stuff going on, uh, but it's not just plain NAND. There's a, it's a SOC, right, on, on this thing. Mm -hmm. So there's some intelligence, some capabilities on there. And just talk a little bit about what it does specifically in terms of enabling uh, more density on the, the disk itself. Right. So a, a few things. So one, you know, what was important, I think, for us and maybe lost in translation a bit was um, the beginning of the architecture doesn't define the whole of the architecture. So um, we'll we'll roll out innovation, but it's it's a um, it's an avenue. It's a swim lane of innovation going forward as opposed to pay attention one time and then, you know, 
uh, from then on, you don't have to. So uh, again, the, the explanation um, that's important for, I think people understand is, it's not in the customer data path. Um, and so we're not actually trying to um, change sort of the, and why, why is that important? A couple of reasons. One, um, it allows a, a completely uh, transparent way for customers to adopt new technology and innovation because they don't have to requalify or think through their own uh, data software stacks. Um, second, it, it's completely compatible. It's it, what we do within that architecture uh, is on behalf of the customer, but they don't have to, to think about managing that at all. You, you drew a, um, an analogy around uh, Shingled and its first adoption because you know it typically requires some level of software change, either at the host side or the driver or the stack side. This is very different from that. But <clears throat> it allows in the architecture some simple things um, to do, sort of hard to, to implement, uh, there's, for instance, quite a bit of metadata built into our hard drive around, um, you know, where the tracks are, how they're being used, uh, what tracks are used for what, um, what, what track maybe you don't use. Um, all this sort of description of each individual drive, because each individual drive is, um, is sort of, um, understood and built um, through the factory systems and so when we deliver that a lot of that data is actually on the drive and that that drive area is then not available for the customer so taking some of that off it's as simple as removal uh, of that allows more density on the drive i mean that's one of the most simple versions of it but the more sophisticated is um, now for instance, we have access to um, more metadata, faster access to it, and we can begin to implement some fairly um, uh, innovative, even AI-based algorithms within, within the drive itself that help us with um, all the things the drive needs to do, from housekeeping to actually storing data and writing data in a more precise way. Um, it can help us with and our customers quite a bit with how um, the drive is handled in emergency power off circumstances because we've moved to a non-volatile medium for much of the data and that can actually boost performance without having to worry about being in the data path so there's you know it, it's open we've got for instance another swim lane for opting in innovation around security and how we can use that metadata space for that so we have a um, a rich portfolio that will come over time and unlock itself over time in conjunction with other innovation. So do you see this OptiNAND, um, INAND block being a part of most drives going forward, all drives from WD for you know the foreseeable future? Does it become a part of the fundamental hard drive platform, I suppose, is what I'm asking? Um, it, it definitely will be a um, fundamental part of our capacity enterprise gear line okay. roadmap going forward. Um, I think there there are segments within um, the hard drive application, for instance, a one terabyte uh, desktop drive, unlikely to be able to fully unlock and utilize um, sort of the power that we have in, in INAN. Um, and so it's, you know, it's probably unreasonable for us to go back and ask those customers, hey, can you recall and, and forecast and store and, and uh, you know, add complexity into your space where we're not adding the uh, uh, requisite amount of value for it. So think of it as today um, spanning across the nearline products uh, going forward, starting with our 20 terabyte uh, drive that we've, uh, we launched last year. Okay. Um... It brings up an interesting question in my mind in terms of as you launch new products, what do you have to do to manage the complexity from a manufacturing standpoint? So you talked about one terabyte. One terabyte hard drives have been around forever. In, in my mind, I can't remember a time where we didn't have one terabyte hard drives, but they, they were times. Um, 
I mean, you make some small capacity drives for the PC market, for instance, or or other uh, specific, maybe some industrial use cases, whatever. We haven't seen a new two and a half inch platform launched, I don't think, in in many years. But there's still plenty of um, vendors like a Dell EMC that you have to support for a certain period of time with replacement 10K two and a half inch drives, right? So how do you think about the complexity of all these products as they're launched and what gets retired or what still has to be made for you know uh, periods of time? How does that that work? Yeah, obviously in, internally we have a, a very robust um, process for uh, managing the portfolio from sort of designs, um, suppliers, all the way through manufacturing with our customers. It's all done with our customers in partnership. Um, I think you, uh, it's probably a little unfair, but you know, let's let's use um, sort of high level uh, dividers. So you have two and a half inch and three and a half inch um, parts of our, our the hard drive roadmap, and you roughly have air and helium parts of the the roadmap. Um, there's certainly a um, a phenomena in the air two and a half and some three and a half inch space that OEMs, as you said, you held up your MacBook and and uh, it's unlikely that uh, a rotating magnetic recording device is going to make its way back into that form factor uh, for various reasons, right? Um, hard drives are uh, can deliver the best economy in terms of um, how to store, but not as flexible in terms of its form factor, right? It's hard to break it up and distribute it. And so that's one thing that Flash brings even at a more expensive uh, um, sort of proposition for storage. So if you think about that space, it's really about being able to deliver very efficient, still very large numbers. Many of our customers um, still ship quite a few of those to their customers. Um, but the, the, if you think and then draw that back to innovation, um, the innovation there is in how do we deliver re, uh, reliably, high quality, at scale, when the customer needs it, um, and, and then do it again, right? It's a, it's a very known process. But very few of those customers are saying, um, you know, we'd like to spend uh, the next few years innovating on a highly differentiated one terabyte drive. Um, <laughs> but they are saying, look, this is uh, this is great business for us. We're delivering, uh, for instance, during the pandemic, we're delivering more um, infrastructure to users than we ever have. Uh, and your, your ability to scale up with us has been very, very important. And so, you know, that's where the innovation is. It's in delivery and capability and reliability and quality and economics. In the um, three and a half inch helium space, uh, even today, the you talked about sweet spots. Sweet spot for a uh, home NAS user, somewhere in that eight to 14 terabyte space. Uh, in my house, uh, I have 56 terabytes sitting uh, on the network. Uh, I'm struggling to fill it up right now, but you know, we take lots of pictures and videos, so uh, I'll get there. The uh, sweet spot for um, <clears throat> the entire industry that is developing content, creating video content, um, using um, monitoring capabilities for security, for, um, you know, internal and inside factories to um, to uh, help their processes or monitor their processes. Video recording in general, that real sweet spot is somewhere in the, all the way down to six, four to six, now moving up to eight to 10 uh, terabyte space. Um, in the space of compute, which we talked about earlier in the data center, so servers and server-like things, um, you know, that, that's anywhere from 12 to sometimes the highest capacity is 20 terabytes. And so we, we have a real mix in that helium uh, space where customers do want innovation across the board. Um, but, uh, but how you'll see us roll it out and maintain that roadmap and that complexity is that 
uh, will deliver typically um, uh, what I would call sort of game-changing technology on the higher capacity, and then it will flow through the roadmap um, as customers either want it or need it, or sometimes where it's most appropriate. So it's unlikely to kind of flow up from the lower capacities. It'll always sort of be introduced in the higher capacities and then managed as a portfolio from there. Well, I told you I'd let you off the hook on Flash, but in the Flash world, there's uh, quite a bit of action now on form factor. So we've been U.2, U3, so your typical two and a half inch up to 15 mil form factor there in the enterprise uh, for for some time. Uh, but now with the ruler gaining some traction, getting a little standardization around this E1S 15 mil, we've got the E1L, we've got E3 coming. I mean, all sorts of stuff going on on the flash side that's largely driven by hyperscalers, but we're seeing it show up. Lenovo's got um, an E1S platform. Uh, Inspur's putting E1S in the back of a lot of their hard drive systems, which is really interesting to use as a uh, a cache vehicle for those those hard drives inside. Hard drives have been three and a half inches forever. Is there is there any any way in your mind that that we go look at a, a five and a quarter or some double brick or or anything else there to meet either uh, you know low speed low cost per dollar cold storage? I mean, is there is there any opportunity there in in some sort of immediate future for hard drives to to pick up a new form factor? I think the, um, <clears throat> it's a great question. The, um, it's a great question because you started as a flash question, but you ended it as a- I brought it back. I told you I wasn't gonna push you on the flash. So, uh, well done, that's why you're the host. Um, <laughs> so the, uh, you know, the way I think about it is, um, the, the tiering of data, especially in data centers, as you said, in the hyperscale space, is such that um, you can actually draw some pretty interesting curves, and we have some studies on it, that data that isn't um, accessed quite a bit early uh, degrades in terms of its latency or its heat very quickly. Um, and so if you don't access, you know, the the fuzzy picture you took of your cat five years ago, you don't access it almost uh, for a very long time, or the rate of access goes way down. So, um, you know, and if you think about most uh, content serving platforms, sort of the way it is, right? The, the most popular is the most popular and everything else sort of goes down and degrades on the curve, but we don't want to throw it away. And um, as good as uh, we are at deduplication and understanding where data is, um, all this unstructured data is really um, going to have to stick around with us for a long time and maybe multiple copies. So I think, as you said, cold storage um, and colder storage and archive and compliance data that you, you write one time and you hope in your business never to access again um is going to is going to be part of the data explosion how do we uh change the economics uh going forward with that well in uh in an oem world or a, a highly compatible commoditized world you really have to be form fit function replacement i have to fit in the same space i have to have the same interface and, and when you plug in this product versus the other product, the, the customer, the software knows no difference, right? That's really uh, what it's built about in terms of compatibility. But that is a world where uh, infrastructure is highly distributed um, and highly uh, it is developed with uh, maybe one, two, or three OSs only in mind. Let's move to today. You mentioned earlier that a lot of the storage sits in large data centers or cloud data centers, hyperscale data centers. What's the difference? Well, now you have scale. And if you have enough scale, you can start to introduce in, uh, a bit of differentiation into your infrastructure because you maybe you can monetize it. Maybe you have the, you own your own OS um, or you develop your own software. You have a pretty sophisticated 
um, engineering team because infrastructure is your business. And so I think what's really fascinating about hard drives going forward and flash as well is the new world is one where we do have uh, compatibility and commoditization and that's fine. That's, that's great. People can enjoy the sweet spot economies that you talked about, but we have a whole new world where uh, we have multiple customers that have the ability to absorb differentiation, the opposite of commoditization actually. Um, specialized devices that are based on hard drives, based on magnetic recording techniques, but perhaps aren't compatible with sort of the mainstream. And so that's where, and I think cold is a great example. There's others, but I think cold is a great example of where if your business model is based on uh, digitization, data, serving data, storing data um, as a service, then it's just about the business model and the economy and can we deliver as a hard drive industry and can Western Digital deliver, you know, the right economies to store each and every bit. And so that's, we're really focused on, on ensuring that we keep up with the cold storage explosion for our customers. And I think it's going to require, um, to foreshadow a little bit, I think it's going to uh, require a change um, in form factor, in um, technique of magnetic recording, um, in interfaces going forward. And so that's what that's what's cooking up in the labs right now. Mm, that sounds uh, that sounds spicy. I could I could feel your heart rate pick up there a little bit with the uh, with specialization comes margin. So that's uh, <laughs> that's good. Um, well, I mean, it is it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Uh, if if you can deliver differentiation that your customer enjoys and, and values, absolutely. Typically, they'll share that value with you. Absolutely. I mean, but the the thought of you know some sort of larger brick of of hard drive storage, it eventually gets easier, right? I mean, there's some challenges with blast radius and how do you manage that. But to your point, the hyperscale level, there's softwares architected for that. And if they need to architect more data resiliency to make room for larger drives, that's going to happen, no doubt. So uh, that's that's clearly there. Um, one thing you mentioned before that I want to come back to from the from the hardware perspective is uh, this notion around multi-actuator. Can you talk a little bit about that? It seems to be that there may be a little bit more of a performance angle there in terms of the value benefit to the customer. But What's your take there? What's the, the current WD thinking on, on multi-actuator? Sure. Um, so again, we're, we're pretty unique in that um, within the data center and the hyperscale and the large applications, um, we're, we're, we're both tiers. We're the flash tier, we're the hard drive tier in, in those spaces. And so there's no other company that's sort of built to understand um, better are the hyperscaler needs and, and just large data center needs and, and video recording needs around how to tier data uh, and how the devices uh, play into that. So um, from that unique position, I think we see that in most cases, um, the economics are pretty clear that some number, it depends on, on the, um, the actual customer and their business model, but let's call it from five to 15% of the data is relatively hot or, or needs to be served under an SLA that has latency requirements. And so uh, in most cases, um, those customers have said at that level, the, the economics of how to store the data aren't really the primary factor. It's the performance and, and um, you know, their business model already takes that into account that 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 requires more investment from their point of view. And so that's really the flash tier. The flash tier is used to serve, um, you know, that, that hotter data, that, that lower latency data. Then 95 to 85% of the data is, is stored in this sort of sweet spot uh, on hard drives. So the question you ask is, are there either separate applications sort of that have their own tiering system or that sit in between um, those two tiers that have uh, the economics of faster than hard drive, not quite as fast as flash, um, 
and economically are somewhere in between as well in terms right. of the, the cost to store a bit. The answer is there are some, uh, but they're still pretty small today. And so uh, today there are uh, dual actuator drives in the industry. We have dual actuators uh, at customers under test today and being qualified. We don't have a production um, drive that we, we sell in the open market. Um, I'm not yet, I'm not here to announce one. Uh, we, we will when it's appropriate, but um, <clears throat> I think the the thing that our our team believes is as as uh, it's become apparent that in the next decade and the decade after that, we'll be making extremely dense hard drives, extremely dense hard drives going forward. And so when you look just then in the tier of a data center that is hard drives uh, and made up by hard drives, it will have its own tiers. And there'll be a dual actuator tier that is not only about performance, but about extremely dense devices that are probably going to require more than one actuator to move the data in and out of them. Um, today at 20 terabytes, the concern from our customers isn't I can't access my data through the SAT or SAS right. interface or that I'm saturating those interfaces. But let us put 50 or 100 terabytes into a drive and then it starts to change the nature of, you know, how do I want to access that drive uh, when it's that dense? And so I think that'll be yeah, the two I mean, applications. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense because we've already seen at OCP NVMe being demonstrated on a hard drive and it's not currently necessarily from a performance standpoint. I mean, even a SATA drive is what, 550 megabytes per second at the top end. And even in the best case of your edge platter, you know, sequential read, you're looking at 275, 280, 290, whatever. It's not 550. <laughs> so it's not um, out of one drive, one interface isn't really a problem. NVMe, I think is kind of interesting just from a standardization standpoint for system designers to just say, all right, one interface throughout the whole thing, drop in an SSD or a hard drive or whatever. But you do bring up a really good point that as those drives get bigger, then they're holding more data, then maybe multiple requests are coming in for different segments of the data on that drive. And it's now, it's a little bit more of a system than just a drive at a certain point, right? It gets to be a certain level of intelligence and capacity where you can't really think of it exactly as a hard drive like we do today, I don't think. That's right. And and on your point on NVMe interface, um, you know, the, the question from one side would be, um, do we need a third interface in the hard drive uh, industry? Um, and, I, you know, I think from a, um, if you think about the application uh, and the scale that we have in, in SATA today, and then somewhat in SAS, there, there really isn't a need for a, a third interface. But it's really important that uh, as we go forward, we realize some of our customers have scale, enormous scale, that um, becomes a driving factor in, in how they put their infrastructure together. And whether it's the software interface, the manageability, uh, even as simple as the cabling in some cases is uh, is a factor now that we have to take into account. And so NVMe starts to allow those two tiers of flash and hard drive inside uh, these data centers or inside systems uh, start to take advantage of commonality. And commonality and simplification at scale can actually be uh, enormous um, value for our mm -hmm. customers. So as we, we think forward, the, the key will be not a uh, not if we need a third interface. It'll be how do we deliver a third interface when we have such scale on, on SATA and we have pretty decent scale on SAS going forward. Um, you know the the first it's the old uh, cartoon adage of you know the very first drive that's different. Uh, the first NVMe drive out of the factory is very expensive compared to the the hundredth millionth you know, that's driving, coming out at SATA because of scale. Uh, but eventually you get there and you get to an equilibrium that makes sense. Uh, but we're, we're keenly aware of the fact that um, as we go forward, 
you know, especially again, being unique in that we deliver both tiers, um, that there's standardization that's, that's, um, possible. And we, we have quite a bit of engineering know-how in the company around NVMe, flash NVMe and, and the interface and software. Yeah. Well, those first 40 gig, uh, SSDs that rolled off the line weren't inexpensive per terabyte uh, or per gigabyte, I guess, at that scale. And now, I mean, in the enterprise baselines, like a somewhere between two and four, but certainly scaling towards four terabyte and and going and going further. So, leave us with this: with the Optinand uh, launch last year, you guys were talking about by the end of this decade, a 50 terabyte hard drive. You know, so not not a lot of time has elapsed there, maybe five or six months. But um, is that still reasonable? Do you think by the end of the decade, or have you raised the the expectations at all? No, I think that's still reasonable. Um, we, uh, you know, I think we'll deliver um, hard drives before the end of the decade that are are uh, able to uh, are dense enough to have fifty terabytes plus um, per device. And and really, it's based on the fact that uh, we have to. Our uh, if look if the hard drive um, industry doesn't move forward at the right pace, we we almost have to move forward at an exponential pace, which is a daunting task. But we have the right people to do it um, because the data is not going to slow down. There's uh, the only reason it'll ever slow down is because we didn't keep up. And so, you know, we we understand and cherish that position we have in in the uh, in the world of technology development, um, and so we have to keep up. So, you know, as uh, the great news is that ten years ago there were some ideas that will come to fruition this decade that will help us, and right now we're starting um, ideas that will come to fruition, you know, uh, fifteen and twenty years from now that will continue to deliver on that promise of. Uh, if you can create the data, uh, then we can store it for you. All right. Well, you've only got the weight of humanity on your shoulders. Don't screw it up, buddy. <laughs> we won't. You can <laughs> All right, Ashley, this has been awesome. Thanks for uh, taking part in the podcast. Love having you on. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity.